Welcome to the Ultimate NBA Season Preview. I'm your host, Tanitra Batista. And this six-episode series will go around the NBA, getting insight and analysis from all 30 of our Locked On NBA shows with local coverage in a way no one else can. In Episode 1, we'll take a look at the top contenders, according to FanDuel, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Denver Nuggets, the Phoenix Suns, and the Miami Heat. So joining me to break down this group of top contenders is John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics, Kane Pittman, host of Locked On Bucks, Adam Matas, host of Locked On Nuggets, Brandon Clean, host of Locked On Suns, and West West Goldberg, host of Locked On Heat. That's who is in the room, Celtics, Bucks, Nuggets, Suns, Heat. John, we'll start off with you. Do you think that we are missing anyone from this room of contenders that we've got from part two? But do you think anybody's missing from part one? I mean, do I do I get to make the uh, the Miami Heat joke first? Like what? Uh, yeah, um, I think I think this is this is the group um, we might see. Uh, I think a couple of teams kind of work their way in. Uh, I'm I'm high on Cleveland. I think they're yeah. they're pretty good. I know the Lakers have jumped in the uh, the the odds. Um, I they think they've had a good off season, but I, I I think at least four of these teams that are here are solidly contenders at this moment. Ooh. Shots fired, everybody. <laughs> so we actually had the Cavs uh, on the rise. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. They were kind of like one of those bubble teams where just because of what's going on in the East with how the Dame Lillard trade is impacting everybody, it's like you kind of know, of course, John, that Celtics are always going to kind of be one, two with the Bucks, But where everybody else falls, especially in the East, it's kind of like subject to conversation, right? So, Kane, yeah. speaking of, let's just dig right into this whole Damian Lillard, as I like to say, taking his talents from one coast kind of sorted to the next <laughs> coast and how it has literally changed the pecking order or turned everything upside down in the Eastern Conference. But let me ask you this. Did it really? Will it really? Uh, the beautiful coast of Lake Michigan. You're talking about Damian Lillard in Milwaukee for winter. I'm sure he's yeah. going to love that. And uh, I think for the Bucks, it I would push back. Uh, on uh, some of the conversation about how big the risk is here based on what we've seen from the Bucks the last couple of years in the postseason and really their inability to have fourth quarter offense. So I think that this is going to change uh, the Bucks when you look at, at how he can work in combination with Giannis, Chris Middleton now, as long as he stays healthy, being a, a third guy on offense and how that's going to change uh, his dynamic ability to get involved in the half-court offense, which has been a major problem for the Bucks over really the, the whole career of Giannis. If you think about the point guards that Giannis has had to play with, whether it was Michael Carter-Williams, Eric Bledsoe, and Drew Holiday to a lesser extent, who actually has shot the ball pretty well in the regular season, but he's not Damian Lillard. So I think, you know, offensively, this is going to change things for the Bucks. I think it does give them the fourth quarter options they just haven't had in the past. So uh, I accept there'll be some defensive questions to answer on the perimeter, but I think there's no question the Bucks are a contender, particularly in the Eastern Conference, because I think that there is a gap after you get uh, from the Bucks and Celtics. And most people would say the same, but Wes, what would you say? Because unfortunately, the Heat kind of lost out on the Dame Lillard sweepstakes, but that didn't stop the Heat from getting to the finals last year, will it this year? I don't know if it's going to stop them from getting to the finals, but look, I mean, this is a team. Yeah, they only won 44 games last year. They were the number eight seed going into the playoffs, but um, 
they they had that miraculous run and i think that there's something to build on from there i actually think that they figured some things out that they had problems with during the regular season uh especially on the offensive end when they were able to finally generate points consistently at least throughout the postseason so yeah, you don't get Damon Lillard, but the team returns Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo is still there. Eric Spolstra is still, for my money, the best coach in the NBA. Uh, and they're, I know they lost Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. They didn't have great regular seasons last year. Right. And if we're talking about just trying to get into the playoffs as a top six seed and avoid the play-in tournament, there's an argument to be made that they're probably going to be better off in the backcourt this time around. They were a bad three-point shooting team last year. They finally sort of reverted up to the mean at the end of the season, which is kind of what got them into that playoff spot in the in, in the first place. So, look, I think that there could actually be weirdly a bounce-back regular season for the Miami Heat. Unfortunately, yeah, the Damian Lillard thing was sort of the missing piece in terms of what this team's ceiling probably is. Um but look, it, this team has been on the doorstep of an NBA Finals three to the last four years. I think it would be almost irresponsible not to include them in a group of contenders. Yeah, agreed. And I think they might be one of the most low-key teams that's been in that mix for three of the last four years to the point where people kind of forget they've been able to somehow, some way, Eric Spolstra is always able to get them there, no matter the cast of characters that he is presented with. So yeah, you do have to kind of keep the heat in that conversation. Now, switching gears over to the Western Conference, which... You could argue that that conference might have potentially been impacted in some way, shape, or form by the departure of Damian Lillard. And I think that's probably because it was a three-team trade, if you will. So, Brendan, the Suns, massive changes to the roster this summer. No DeAndre Ayton, which I don't know if everybody would say this is a bad thing. I'm not sure what uh, the Phoenix faithful would say, but that's one of those changes. So, do you feel like the Suns team is better maybe than the one that made the finals two years ago? Or if not better, how different? Incredibly different. And yeah, if we spent the time to decide how the Phoenix faithful feel about DeAndre Ayton, I'd just be talking for the whole show. So <laughs> it is a major inflection point for the franchise, right? He's a number one overall pick. Five years ago, things turned right about after that 2021 run. And he's never been the same player. So they're making a bet that the head coach that they hired in Frank Vogel, the better kind of wing and, and perimeter defensive depth that they've assembled on the minimum market and with this trade, bringing in Grayson Allen and bringing in Nasir Little is going to change their roster, change their approach to defense, but be enough to be good enough on that end of the floor to to compete with the team that beat them in the second round last year in the Nuggets or the team that beat them in the finals two years ago, which is, of course, the Bucks and, and what they just did. So mm -hmm. this team's going to rise and fall as far as their offense takes them. And I think if you look at it that way, their roster is undeniably better. They are more flexible. They have more shot creation. They have more shooting. They're going to play looser, less structured offense, but I think in the postseason, that will help them. That'll help them, you know, get over the hump in a way that Chris Paul and role players just weren't going to be able to do. So they did about as well with what they had at their disposal as I think they could have, but it is a massive gamble and they're going to have very little time to gel if they're trying to win this year, which of course they are. Yeah. And I'll say, Adam, from the perspective of the Nuggets, you know, of course, yes, they lost Bruce Brown, who was really like, I, I like to call him the cleanup man. I mean, where, wherever they needed him, whatever he needed to do on defense, he did it. And it 
resulted in a title, but you still got your one-two punch in Nicole Jokic and in Jamal Murray. So do you feel like with this Nuggets team as it's currently constructed, because of course we know some things could change at the trade deadline, but as currently constructed, do you make the case for this team to make another run? Do you feel like they're the same and therefore able to make another run better? How, how do you feel they are at this point? Well, they did keep their one-two punch. In fact, they kept their one, two, three, four, five punch. Their starting five is all back. Uh, and it's kind of funny. We're having a good laugh at it here in Denver, of course. Um, a team maintains their MVP, maintains their number two, maintains their starting lineup, and on the heels of a 16-4 and four playoff run, and everybody's saying, well, what about the sixth man? They lost the sixth man. I don't know if the team is still good. They lost the sixth guy. <laughs> Bruce was a really good player. He was actually a major net negative during the regular season, um, as all of Denver's bench was during the regular season. I think people would be surprised to know that Denver had one of the weaker benches throughout the regular season run. But Bruce acted as a sort of sixth starter. So he was a very important piece for allowing them to be versatile in their rotation. So he's certainly a big loss. But I think that... What won Denver a championship this last year was the strength of their starting five and how well all five of those pieces fit together on both ends of the court. That's still intact. The questions around Denver are they're going to need some player to stand up. I think they need one yeah. mystery player at this moment to stand up, whether that's Zeke Naji, Peyton Watson, or Reggie Jackson. One of those guys needs to uh, you know, become a much larger impact player than they were last season. But to me, those are small questions. The big question most teams want to answer is what's their best punch and what are their main lineups look like? And for Denver, um, I expect their starting lineup to be better this year than it was last year, just by virtue of they're all entering their prime, not exiting their prime, all five of those guys. And they're all getting more and more reps with each other the more they play. Yeah. And, and I think it's very interesting you say that, Adam, because I think Wes would say the same. I feel like the Nuggets are sort of – and, you know, no pun intended or don't mean to sound corny, but it's almost like they're the heat of the Western Conference because they're champions. <laughs> they have an MVP on their on their squad and they've got Jamal Murray is like otherworldly a whole heck of a lot of the time. And like you said, you're returning all your starters and yet everyone's like, yeah, but the Nuggets, I mean, I don't know if they're going to like, how, are they going to contend? So it's amazing to me that these two teams are so still under the radar with what we've seen them do, obviously the Nuggets winning the title this year, but also with what the Heat have been able to do in the past several years. But that said, and I want all you guys to kind of chime in on this because I want to hear your thoughts on where you feel your team is relative to making a run. Do you feel like your team is next up as the next team to win the NBA title? Well, I'll start um, because the you know I think the Boston Celtics – can be next up. I think the Celtics are a very theoretical team at the moment. We don't know how Kristaps Porzingis is really going to fit, how Derek White is going to fit as the point guard, uh, the starting point guard, how Joe Mazzulla is going to be with one full season to actually uh, full off season to, to plan uh, assistance that he hired last season. He got, he got, this is, he got the job about now. Right. Like this is about the time he got. Oh, by the way, you're the head coach. Go. Uh, and that, that's a very difficult spot to be in. So the Celtics have a lot of things that can go right. A lot of things that can go wrong. And and that makes their their floor probably surprisingly low, uh, but also makes their ceiling championship level. And if if 
you get Porzingis, uh, and he can be like the zone buster. And if he doesn't have to have the as many touches as he used to, and if he can be a rim protector, and if he can find a way to use everybody creatively, the Celtics are are actually in a position to match up well against everybody because you can go big and you can go small and you can put out a pretty good lineup with Jason Tatum at center. You can put out a pretty good lineup with Kristaps Porzingis and Robert Williams. I think that's going to be your starting duo. You could even throw Al Horford out there if you want to go super, super big and play a 2-3 zone with three monsters back there. You can do a lot of different things if everybody stays healthy, if everything goes right. So I think the Celtics... Even though, you know, Milwaukee got Damian Lillard and they clearly everybody there's the buzz about Milwaukee. I think the Celtics, again, providing that things go right, can match up against just about anybody and can morph their approach to to kind of match up well against whomever they're playing. Coming up more on why these teams are all contenders, but first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, I think we've all had a time when we did something that we knew eh, or thought was good for us, but really our brain was getting in the way, maybe trying to fall asleep at night, like with me and phrasing thoughts keep you awake. Well, you know what? If you've benefited from therapy like I have, then something like BetterHelp will be really, really helpful for you because that's you taking matters and taking your health into your own hands. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try again. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. You can make your brain your friend with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p dot com slash locked on NBA. Betterhelp h e l p dot com slash locked on NBA. I think the Celtics, it's, it's been interesting because if you look at the Bucs and the Celtics who have played each other in multiple postseason series over the last few years, the two guys that have been frustrating for Bucs fans have been Marcus Smart and Grant Williams, and they're both yeah. not there. And now you pivot to Kristaps Pazingas and even Rob Williams if he's healthy. And it's one thing if the Bucs have Drew Holiday at the point guard, but now that they have Damian Lillard at the point guard, I think it asks some questions that the Bucs just simply have not been in a position to do in the past from an offensive perspective. So that's why I think the Drew Holiday watch here and whether it's another Eastern Conference team, we'll wait and see. But that's why I think it's so pivotal because I do think that the Celtics' ability to play small, as you said, uh, there, John, and, and switch everything and throw multiple guys at Giannis lacrosse uh, four quarters of basketball. It's been problematic, and it's been a, a real physical toll on Giannis across seven games, as we've seen multiple times. So uh, I think that the Celtics, how they uh, develop that, uh, the defensive lineups and everything they work through there, I think is going to be a watch because Al Horford, I think he turns 38 by the time the NBA Finals roll around as yep. well. So I, I think the Celtics are a fascinating team to watch. John, I have, a, I have a question for you just with the Celtics. You know, Marcus Smart seemed to me to be an emotional heartbeat of the team. And I think yeah. that that role is so undervalued when we analyze the NBA. And the second part of it is that 
Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have always been ahead of schedule or on schedule, in my opinion, just looking at the arc of it. Do you feel this is the first year where there's a pressure with that duo specifically of, hey, it's time now. We're not ahead. It's actually the time. And then without Marcus Smart there, does that mean this is going to be an elevated tension season without that guy that usually is the one that breaks that tension? I think it's 100% uh, on both cases. Uh, and I think you throw in the added uh, collective bargaining agreement, that second apron right. that's sitting there looming. That has shortened a lot of windows, um, which is which is why Milwaukee was like, yeah, all in right now, because Milwaukee is in the same boat as Boston is, is in the same boat as Phoenix. It's, it's, you know, it's go now. You got a couple of seasons before really, really tough decisions have to be made if you are looking to avoid that second apron. Boston's certainly very allergic to that second apron. So there is urgency now. <laughs> they and and look, Boston can, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and I wrote this, they have to look at each other in the face and say, we are the reason why Marcus Smart isn't here. Because Tatum and Brown, their failures in the Eastern Conference finals, in the NBA finals, those guys not stepping up to the level where I think maybe some people expected they couldn't get the job done. They couldn't win a championship. That forces Brad Stevens to say, we got to go a different direction. We got to bring in a Porzingis to take some of those possessions late in the shot clock. You know, Wes, you saw the Celtics bring that shot clock down to eight, seven, six, and get stuck. And Miami capitalize off of that throughout the entire uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Now you have Porzingis that you can throw the ball to, and he can at least get a shot up over somebody that, that's a clean look. But if they had taken care of business, Marcus Smart would still be there. They wouldn't have to. So, so I think there is a pressure, like you mentioned, because it's like, okay, you know what? This just got real. We, you know, they traded away the guy that's been here longest. Uh, it's all on us. And there's no other, there's no one to hide behind in the locker room either. Marcus was the guy that stood up and called people out. He was the one in the media that wasn't afraid to call people out. Now it has to be these two guys. There's no one left. Al Horford will do it in spots. But he's the OG grandpa in the back. He'll pipe up when he needs to. These two guys have to step up emotionally. They have to step up on the court. And, yeah, it's it's basically this is their year. Their window is this season because next season, the CBA, it's going to cost them Malcolm Brogdon. They're going to have to trade somebody. They're going to have to trade Brogdon next year to stay under that apron. They're going to have to start trading away those those. Uh, ancillary players, those role players. So this is the this is gonna be the best collection of talent that they have until they blow it up, whenever that is. So yeah, the window is now for Boston. Kane, I, I, I'm curious because we're talking about Tatum and Jalen Brown. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, Brendan's uh, got Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Adams uh, on the Nuggets. There's Jamal Murray, obviously losing Drew Holiday. Not having a whole lot of like, and looking at these wings and these perimeter players in the NBA, obviously the Damian Lillard Giannis thing is probably going to be unstoppable. But are, is, are you concerned at all, Kane, about like defensively what Milwaukee will do to stand up? Because like you look at what the Denver Nuggets did, they were an elite offense for years, Adam, right? Like top five in offense for three or four years. But it wasn't until they got into like that top 12 defensively where they were actually able to win the championship. It kind of feels like there's going to be a floor to how how good you have to be defensively in order to win a championship. Are you concerned at all about Milwaukee's ability there? Yeah, I think it's real. And I think that there's big questions they're going to have to answer because there's a number of guys that we just don't know what they're going to look like this season. And I would start with Brooke Lopez. Now, I know he just had, in my opinion, 
the best season he's probably had in his entire career. But is he able to replicate that again at 35? I think that's a big ask. What he did on both ends of the floor when the Bucks were so banged up last year and you didn't have Chris Middleton. Brooke Lopez stepped up. He played 81 games, which is absolutely ridiculous, over 30 minutes a night. So I think you're asking a lot because a lot of people I see are falling back and saying, well, you've got Giannis, you've got Brooke Lopez. This should be a good defense. But I think the perimeter is going to be where the questions are. What is Jay Crowder? We really have no idea. He hasn't played in 12 months and clearly did not get along too well with the, the, the setup there last year through the postseason. Is Chris Middleton healthy? He didn't look great defensively last year, but he also wasn't in great shape to be able to play there. I think the other question that everyone asks, and Wes, you know this, why wasn't Giannis guarding Jimmy Butler? He did a few years ago when they swept the heat. He didn't last year. And I, I do wonder, when you get to the back end of the season, when Everything offensively doesn't need to be Giannis. 110% of the time carrying absolutely everything from the physical side of things. If Chris Milton's healthy and you have Damian Lillard, is there more scope for him? Now, he's not necessarily going to be a guy that is going to be able to defend Jason Tatum for 48 minutes because there's screen navigation stuff there. But I I do think there's more scope for Giannis to defend uh, some of those players in the postseason, maybe because he doesn't have to take on the offensive responsibility. But you're right. There's big questions defensively, particularly on the perimeter right now. Well, I think the most interesting defensive question for me with Milwaukee is Brooke Lopez is a very good drop big and he's mobile. He'll get up to the level of the screen and then drop down. Drew Holiday and Damian Lillard are opposites in the way they cover pick and roll defense. I think Drew might be the single best at avoiding screens on the perimeter and allowing your big to drop because he recovers, he's long, he's physical. Dame is arguably the worst perimeter defender, maybe out above Trey, at fighting through pick and roll screens. So if you're dropping a big and you have a guy getting caught on screens repeatedly, you're welcoming step-up threes, you're welcoming mid-range jump pull-ups and all these different things. So I'm very curious to see not just – 35 years old, can Brooke do it again? But is the scheme somewhat dependent on having these great perimeter defenders in pick and roll defense? But furthermore, before I let you answer that one, the Suns last year made a move from defense to offense. They lost Mikael Bridges. They lost Jay Crowder. They picked up Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal. The Celtics have made something of a similar thing in losing Marcus Smart, adding Chris Tapps, Porzingis. Even the Miami Heat, who were in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes, was clearly a, we're good on D, we need to get better on offense. And then obviously the Bucs, same thing. They've been a phenomenal defense and they needed more offense. The Nuggets, you mentioned, Tanitra, that the Nuggets won by getting a top 12 defense, but top 12 is not that impressive. Denver won with offense. I do wonder if we're in the offense wins championships era and if teams are kind of sliding those scales. Not for, I mean, look, the truth is it takes both. But I wonder if teams are now looking and saying, in today's NBA – an unstoppable offense is possible. And that's kind of a, a, a foundational piece. Yeah, I was talking about this on another show, Adam. I think your team that you cover brought that era upon us, but not just because the Nuggets are amazing on offense, but I think every team in this age of parity, I mean, all of us cover teams that have individual creators who would have been MVPs at one point in time and the league just has so many of those these days we just finished a season that had how many 50 60 70 point seasons i think what the nuggets and other teams but let's just say it let's just say it's it's their doing demand of of their opponents is you have to you have to have really no offensive weaknesses you can't just have a player who can do that but it's like the nuggets not only have 
Jokic, they not only have the two two men games that he has with so many of his teammates, but they have solid shooting. They get to the free throw line. They own the offensive glass. They control the pace. There's really no thing you can point to and say, we'll expose them in this way. A lot of the time it's try to punish Jokic defensively or, you know, create turnovers or whatever you, these smaller things. So I think that it's a lot of teams realizing like the Suns, Okay, Devin Booker's great. Chris Paul's a great orchestrator. But somehow being top 10 and being the best offense Booker's ever been a part of, that's actually not enough. You know, we actually need to have even more than that in place. We need to improve the shooting. We need to have more actual one-on-one shot creation. So I think that all of these teams are a great example of that realization that all these front offices are having, that it's like you can't even just have like one dude. You kind of need two or three plus a lot more. Yeah, I would agree uh, because my mind kind of went to, and this is kind of going old school, but my mind went to that the run, both runs from the Chicago Bulls way back in the day, like the Michael Jordan era and how they did have, uh, it, it was kind of sneaky good, right? Because you had Steve Kerr who was an assassin and, you know, there was always some assassin with them, but they would do, not that they weren't a, a really good defending defensive team, but it would really be about what they did in the third quarter. It would really be about like, hey, almost like football where it's the last four minutes of the second quarter, the first four minutes of the uh, third quarter that kind of dictate the rest of the game. I feel like maybe the league is going in that direction as well. And maybe Golden State put that in place too. Like, hey, we're going to play some lockdown defense for a, you know an extended period of time to really, really neutralize that other team. But we're going to play lockdown offense, like lights out offense for the entire game. And that's going to be the blueprint. And like maybe slowly but surely the league has kind of shifted to that blueprint. I think part of this too is how difficult it is to play defense with, yes. with yes. the rules now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can make the argument that the best defense is a good offense, all right? If yeah. you score the ball, then you got to take make the other team bring it out and you could set up half court. And at least maybe you can't touch anybody, but at least maybe you could position your body between yourself and, and the basket and the player that you have to – to guard where in obviously transition that's a little bit harder to do so i think the rule changes are a big part to do with it and i think there is a belief that offense is sort of the best defense and um and quite frankly it's just almost easier to put a great offense together than it is a great defense because of those rule changes right it's and so with all that in mind like is it is it easy to get a denver nuggets phoenix suns kind of offense that's harder to do but if you're just trying to all right let's just build a team from scratch right now and we got to either put a good offense on the court or a good defense on the court. I think it would be a lot easier to just kind of put together a good offense. Look, I just I just looked up the stats. The defensive, the number one defensive rating this past season was one hundred nine point nine. The Cleveland Cavaliers. You go back ten years ago, that would be the third worst defense. <laughs> so, defense is definitely harder to play. I think the three point shot has made that. The rules changes have made that. You throw in last season. The, the take foul, uh, that element of the game, that has, has led to uh, a little bit more scoring. Uh, and, and you have, like you, you, everybody's been saying, some of the most skilled offensive players that we've seen. And when you have that level of skill with these rules, with this heavy, heavy, heavy focus on three-pointers and, and piling up as many of those attempts as possible – it's just the, the scoring is going to go up. It's impossible to stop. So, and that's, you know, look at what the Bucks and the Celtics just did, getting rid of two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. That That is your, your sign that 
there are ways to defend and, and you hope to protect the rim and you hope to, you know, prevent some of the, the corner threes. And it's, I've heard more of you got to give up something. You got to live with something type of attitude around this league yeah. than I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, defense never felt like it was about, you got to pick something to give up. Nowadays you do. And you just got to hope that you're giving up those mid range jumpers, except against, you know, Phoenix, you don't want to give up those, but you know, you give up the least possible, the, the, the least efficient shots and hope for the best. John, just to piggyback on that, though, you mentioned about the skill and the heaving, the three pointers and all that stuff. I think the, the thing that these teams that we all cover on this episode have in common is that they don't just OK, it's not just high pick and roll one man offense, chuck threes. Right. That's not what any of these teams do that we're talking about. Right. There's a plan on offense. Uh, all these plans for these respective teams are very different, but it's a plan. And most of it is move the ball, generate a good look. Um, at any point in the shot clock, but try to do that. And I think that's maybe the difference between the teams that are legit contenders versus the teams that are sort of just trying to manufacture offense. And like you said, John, just like, all right, let's just take 45 threes. How do we get them? We don't care. Just take 45. It doesn't matter yeah. if they're good or bad. Yeah, uh, I think that's a big part of where the NBA is trending in terms of the teams yeah. that are winning at a high level. We have had conversations about early offense. People, it, that, that, that shot, so many shots that I used to think were bad shots you know, and I'm I'm like the old man here. Uh, maybe maybe Adam, you're a little bit close to me. Uh, <laughs> you're grades, you know baby. what I'm talking about. At. The shots that used to get you benched are now shots that you're looking for. You come down, you step into Jason Tatum, bringing the ball up the floor. 19 seconds on the shot clock. The defender sagging, so you just in rhythm step into a three pointer early offense you take that shot because you're never going to get in a possession a shot that's that open for that kind of guy and and i i've always been a proponent of no work the ball make the defense get tired but that's the that's the way things go nowadays it's just get the first best shot you can get get back and try try to do it all over again yeah that's that's the uh that's the javon carter special uh, John, we used, to talk, we used to talk about it all the time because if you looked at the shots that he took and so many of them, Javon Carter brings the ball up the floor and he, he jacks a three in transition in the first eight seconds of the shot clock. And you say, in theory, you've got Giannis on the floor, you've got Drew Holiday, you've got Brook Lopez. That feels like a terrible shot. And then if you look at the numbers, like, okay, well, he's actually shooting 37% on those. That seems like a pretty good number. So uh, that's, that's the NBA. Coming up, how does the Drew Holiday trade affect the Celtics? That's next, but first. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. And listen, you can visit FanDuel.com and include you know, money, their money lines, their props, so many opportunities there. And look, the NFL season is a great example of a topsy-turvy season where you probably need some good insight to help you to make the right bet. So again, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with the official partner, of the NFL. We'll get back to the contenders roundtable in a moment, but after we recorded this, 
The Celtics decided to make a huge trade. With me to break that down is John Corrales from Locked On Celtics. All right, John. So as is the case in the world of the NBA, movement happens slowly and then all of a sudden it picks up with a frenetic pace <laughs> as it did in the last week. So we saw all we saw the three team trade and now we see kind of the after effects of that, right? So we get word from multiple sources that all-star guard Drew Holiday is now heading to Boston in a trade from Portland. And he was traded, of course, to Portland from Milwaukee. That trade comes just days after that blockbuster deal, which, of course, sent all-star guard Damian Lillard to the Bucks. Now, the Celtics are to receive Drew Holiday. Blazers are to receive Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, a 2024 first-round pick via the Warriors, 2029 unprotected first-round pick via the Celtics. So when you heard about this movement especially because you're so closely tied to the Celtics organization and what they're doing. What was your initial reaction? I mean, I, I think the initial reaction was, first of all, never underestimate Brad Stevens' uh, ability to make a move. No matter, no matter the proximity to training camp, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a gutsy move and it's an all-in move. And I, I was of the opinion before the deal that I didn't want to do uh, Brogdon and Robert Williams. I knew Malcolm Brogdon was gone at some point, either during the season or next summer. I knew that right. that was not going to, he was not going to li live out his contract in Boston. Sure. Uh, but Rob, I pictured Rob as a long-term piece for the Celtics. And I, I thought because Kristaps Porzingis is generally, you know, questionable when is it with his injury history and Al Horford is 37. And I said, yeah. oh, maybe they, they don't have the appetite to do that, but but the bottom line here is it's it's a, an arms race, and that's how it's been characterized by a lot of people, and it's 100% yeah. true. And, and Portland, give them credit for creating this situation. They they probably knew we weren't keeping the whoever we got. So all right. of the consternation from Miami saying, oh, Tyler Hero, blah, blah, blah. Well, I tell you what. Boston wasn't turning around and making this deal for Tyler Hero. Yeah. Or making the deal for Drew Holiday. So it's an all-in move. It's it's um, you know, surprising, but uh because Milwaukee got Damian Lillard and Holiday became available, Boston kind of felt the need, like, look, Milwaukee got better. And oh, by the way, you get somebody that can defend the guy that your rival just got. It it seemed like they they kind of felt like they had to make the move. Yeah, I think so. And I think there are a couple things you said there. And I agree. It is a race, an arms race by any means necessary. This is sort of the shift that we've been seeing in the NBA for the last several years, not just the concept of the big three or even in some cases, the big four, but how you actually get to the big three or the big four. So to me, it's also it's like an interesting chess match, if you will. And I think we were all wondering when the next move was going to be made, but I don't think any of us kind of saw it coming because you and I even spoke about this during our preview and talking about the reaction, your reaction to the Celtics, uh, excuse me, to the Bucks getting Dame Lillard. And now here we are just on the heels of that, talking about what we're going to do with the Drew Holiday move. Yeah, and I thought, you know, my biggest fear was Miami gets Holiday. Yes, I thought the same, John. You know, and it's like, wow, Holiday actually would be a better fit in Miami than, you know, obviously Lillard's the better player, but man, that's such a great fit in Miami. I thought they had a chance. And and look, that's another reason why Boston probably felt like they had to make this move. It's not yeah. the reason you make the trade, but it's also mm -hmm. a nice side effect that Miami, a rival, doesn't yes. get somebody like that. That Philly, 
a rival who is in yes. disarray doesn't get a player like that. Boston was like, it's us, it's Milwaukee. Milwaukee yep. made their move. Boston's playing chess. They make their move. And it's they're doing their best to make sure that two teams are at the top of the East and they're yes. separating themselves. So yeah. looking down the, the, the landscape of the East, that's another reason why Boston felt like, yeah, the price is high, but look, you, you got to do it. Yeah, you absolutely do, because we we talked about that during the preview as well. Like the Eastern Conference is very interesting in that you literally have that those same three that we keep talking about. It's the Bucks, it's the Celtics and it's the Heat. And every now and again, someone else jumps into the conversation, Raptors or Bulls or even the Sixers. But like you said, disarray, injury, um, resetting that doesn't that isn't as bold or courageous as what the Celtics and the Bucks have done now get you to this point where it really kind of feels like it's a two-man race, at least on paper. We'll see what the season actually dictates. want to real quick talk about something else that you just mentioned, John, and that was the missing piece and yeah. what that actual piece will be. So when you look across the landscape of what the Celtics roster now looks like, what the depth chart looks like, if you will. Do you feel like Drew Holiday is that missing piece to potentially get them back to the finals and then get them back to winning a title? It's funny. I think the missing piece is, is there are a bunch of missing pieces that have, they've tried to fill, right? Because yeah. at the beginning of this, the offseason, Kristaps Porzingis was a missing piece because – the Celtics were uh, they, they needed somebody to take the pressure off of Tatum and Brown late game situations, fourth quarter situations yep. where they can now dump it into a guy who can score, who can post up smaller guys and get a good shot off. So that was a missing piece. Then Milwaukee makes a move. And you're like, oh, damn. Now we have another missing piece. Right. Yeah. Drew Holiday is a, a that particular missing piece to fix what what you need against a Damian Lillard. So yeah. if Milwaukee does something else, which they might be out of moves, but mm -hmm. when, whenever somebody else makes a move, Boston has to sit there and say, "Do we have to do something else?" And uh, I still think that they are still a little thin mm -hmm. at this point on paper on the bench. So we'll see how yeah. the season, the the off season, I'm sorry, the preseason progresses how November progresses, the Celtics will take a look at their bench depth, but we can, I can easily sit here and say there is another missing piece and he's, he's supposed to be on the bench and we don't know who that is yet. So it's yeah. just a constant kind of flow of it, it's like plugging the holes in the dam. Oh, plug that one, plug that one. Yeah. Now there's that there's water here. Mm -hmm. Got to plug that one. Yeah, and you kind of have to decide which one, if you can't plug them all, which one is the most important to plug and then kind of rank them one, two, three. And in a league where three-point shooting takes so much precedence, you kind of, Drew Holiday is probably the plug that you need more than anything just to give a little bit of that spark on offense because we know he can score at will sometimes, but it's more defensively what he can do, especially not minding guarding on the wing. But that brings to another point that you made, then you look on the inside and we know the game slows down and there's more action and activity on the inside as you get deeper into the postseason. Robert Williams was maybe the shocker, maybe the head scratcher in this entire deal, because like you said, Al Horford is 37. Kristaps Porzingis can play center if needed, but you also have to look at the durability there. So are you concerned about the fact that the Celtics decided it was OK to part ways with Robert Williams? Yeah, I am. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, Robert Williams is one of my favorite guys to talk to yeah. 
in yeah. that locker room. So may, maybe I'm a little bit like, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> but uh, he's been so key for for them. But the, que- the question for him is always when healthy. Um, yes. There yes. are a couple of factors here with Rob. You know, one is Boston has all his medicals. They know exactly what he's been dealing with, and they know exactly how healthy he's potentially going to be moving forward. So maybe that played into it. I also know that the collective bargaining agreement uh, is this, this season is kind of like the go for it season. We've seen Phoenix load up. We've seen now Milwaukee load up and now Boston's loading up because of all of the very punitive second apron rules don't fully kick Mm -hmm. in until next season. Right. This is everybody's go for it year. And I'm telling you between the finals, the draft and July 1st, that is that normally quiet period is going to be super, super busy as teams try to make a bunch of bunch of moves before this calendar year ends. So Boston probably felt like we've got to go for it, too, because once the rules change, we're stuck. Yes. And so that made it so Rob, there were always going to be hard decisions made yeah. once those things once that that new CBA fully kicked in. So Rob is, is one of the first casualties. Grant Williams was one of those casualties. Yes. They, yeah. they, the Celtics have had to make tough, tough decisions already. So yeah, it sucks to lose Rob. He's an impact player, especially mm-hmm. on the defensive end. Yes. It's a lot of pressure on Porzingis to stay healthy and be that rim protector. Uh, the Celtics probably need another big, but as Brad Stevens said at media day, you got to pay a price to get something and that was the price. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys as well, just before we wrap up, is kind of looking at your team individually as that team has kind of shifted itself. And the good thing is that each of these teams has in some way, shape or form had a shift. But I want to know from your perspective how that shift has impacted your team or is there anything that you feel puts you, hey, if we don't have this go right or hey, if that goes wrong, then maybe we're not the contender that we thought we were. My team had quite a bit of change. I mean, I think a lot of it is just predicated on can the the risk that they took bringing in a maybe less imaginative offensive coach and, and hiring Frank Vogel combined with how the Suns filled out their role player depth. Can that make up for what is not going to be a very high ceiling defensive team? Can they be good enough? Because, you know, people can talk about the fit of the stars. Their the offense is going to be great. I think the players fit pretty well. So can the young athletic wings that they brought in, can the center rotation they've cobbled together, can the head coaches scheme hold together enough that their scoring can can win them enough games to to win four playoff rounds? I think that's what it'll be for the Suns. I'm glad you mentioned the new head coach, Brendan, because we got this far and we didn't mention a new head coach for Milwaukee as well. So they already had major change before they met, went to, went ahead and did this Damian Lillard trade. And Terry Stotts, they brought in, obviously, the relationship with Damian Lillard there. So I think there's going to be questions. Uh, but the other thing that the Bucks have done, and it might be to John's point earlier in the show about the fear of the second apron and what does this mean for the cap stuff, the Bucks actually completely changed the back end of their roster and started buying these second-round picks and bringing in these young players they're hopeful that Marjon Beauchamp can be a player. They've got Ty Ty Washington on the two-way contract, Andre Jackson Jr., someone there as well. And I think that they're hoping that they've got these five young guys on the roster and one, uh, maybe two at best of them become guys that can play over the next couple of years because they know that the crunch is coming with roster flexibility. But one thing they did do, 
they had a decision with Drew Holiday to make next offseason or Drew Holiday had a decision to make. And if he didn't sign on with the Bucks, they were going to be in major trouble. So that's the other thing this Damian Lillard trade has done. It's extended the window to at least the next two seasons. So the Bucks are against the clock. New head coach, new look roster, uh, but they've got two seasons. I think despite of the, the, the lack of moves, the Miami Heat are also on the clock, right? Jimmy Butler turned 34 this summer. Uh, and that was sort of the reason why that that they wanted Damian Lillard so bad is because he's sort of that hand-in-glove fit, perfect fit, right? Jimmy, Bam, Adebayo, and Damian Lillard is a perfect trio. And um, ultimately, obviously, they didn't get that deal done. But that doesn't mean that they can't try to make some other deals to augment the roster around Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So I think that if we're talking about sort of X factors with the Miami Heat is – what does the roster look like by the trade deadline or after the trade deadline, I should say, because I, I still think that there's moves to be made here. Kyle Lowry's expiring contract could be very valuable in this new CBA world for a team that might be looking to get off of some long-term salary. Uh, they obviously still have the draft picks that they didn't use in the Dame in a Dame deal. Um, they have Tyler hero right now on the roster. We'll see if he'll come back and be happy or if that's something that they're looking to explore in terms of trading him. So, I think that the Miami Heat are a unfinished product as as we sit here today. And, and the goal for them is the goal that it always is. It's like, can we go win a championship? And I think there's a lot of obvious motivation to improve the roster, even though they haven't quite done it yet. I think for Denver, the thing that's really interesting about the season that could create a, a positive variance for Denver is Jamal Murray – such a unique player. I think in the regular season, you'd probably have him as about the 35th best player in the NBA, somewhere around there. I mean, he's really good, but never been close to an all-star, let alone an all-star. Then you get to the playoffs, and he's probably a top 12 player. Uh, this second time, for him at least, second time in a row that he has been a you know a, a, an all-star caliber player. To me, he's the most interesting thing about Denver. I think he is more the player he is in the playoffs than the player he's been the regular season disguised a little bit by injuries and the, the rhythm of his career. But to me, that's the, the most interesting thing about Denver. I think their floor is very good, but as we saw last year. But this might be the Jamal Murray breakout year. I think people in Denver are expecting it, a big leap from him, which sounds crazy, but I think people are expecting it. Uh, and that's what creates the interesting variance for Denver this year. Yeah, it's interesting. And listening to you guys, I feel like, and of course, we've got another group of contenders that we'll talk about as well, but this definitely seems like that group of contenders. But with that said, I feel like as many moves as there have been made, we don't know how these players are going to gel. We don't know. And, and just as you mentioned, Kane, with a brand new coach uh, moving away and moving on from my Budenholzer, how that's going to impact what the Bucks are able to do. There's some very intriguing storylines and some variables that as the season wears on, we'll really kind of figure out who has the clearest and the cleanest path uh, to the NBA finals and to a title. But yeah, I think the word Brendan used earlier, we might not think that way because you think about a Dame Lillard making that big move to the Bucks, um, and you think about everything that the Nuggets have done to stay pat with their starting five. But I think there's still more parity than maybe we give credit for, especially at the top, because there may be some moves or some lack of moves that keep the competition going. So I'm very interested to see what happens. This group of contenders as well as our other group of contenders. So I appreciate you guys. It's been so awesome hearing you guys just give us all of this amazing information and just giving us kind of a snapshot of what I think is going to be an awesome NBA season. So that'll do it 
for episode one of the ultimate NBA season preview with our first round of contenders presented, of course, by Prize Picks. And to find out where all of the NBA teams land this season, check out Locked on NBA and you can get all six episodes of the ultimate season preview. We'll see you.